What a delight to see you folks again and to get to visit with uh, Pete and your other staff members. So let's dig in. I have not always wanted to be a preacher. Early in my life, my goal was to be a medical doctor. Well, actually a surgeon. Well, actually a brain surgeon. Be thankful. I went off to a college where I majored in chemistry, and it was a very good college academically. Spiritually, though, though they were sponsored by a certain denomination, they had lost their way. They liked Jesus, you know. Okay, if he actually lived, you know. So when I came on campus, I was the lone student of my type on campus. They went after me. I overheard some professors talking about me and saying, we got to drag Irwin into the 20th century and get this stupid faith stuff out of him. Well, they didn't realize how much of a drag that was going to (laughs) be. And not only did they not succeed, I took over the school. I became president of the student body. We had a revival on campus, really, and a lot of kids got saved. But I was majoring in chemistry, and in these scientific subjects, they accepted without argument, without discussion, evolution. Well, I knew that I was not in that camp, but I also knew that I needed to deal with this personally because I was going to have to interact personally with these professors and other students. So I took a day or so just to kind of study it through and pray it through, and it didn't take long. I mean, right off the bat, you begin to realize there are so many multiplied millions of functions in life that that don't work unless they're complete. They can't evolve. Just for a simple example, there's a spider that weaves a little diving bell. And he can go down in the water and grab something to eat and come back up. That had to work right the first time. (laughs) There was no, oops, back to the drawing board. (laughs) It would be, oops, back to the single cell, you know. But I think to me, at least, the most telling blow is that since the core of it all is survival of the fittest, then anything of our ancestry that was fit to survive survived in much more difficult times than today. It should still be here. And any improvement on that that survived was surviving in more difficult times than today. It should still be here. And there should be this long string of survivors that we call them missing links because they're truly missing. They're not there. Although I did play football with one guy that made me wonder. (laughs) He was kind of a knuckle dragger, you know. But one of the things that they taught in evolution is that death is just as important as, just as natural as life. 
Well, I disagree with that. I think life is natural and death is not. I think life is a gift and death is a perversion. Well, look at it this way. When God created and finished this earth, he had done quite a remarkable job. And then as his crowning moment, he takes, and you ladies know this is true, a handful of mud and makes a man out of it. Then he says, I can do better than this. But he doesn't. Yeah, look who's clapping. But anyway, he doesn't take this and say, Hey, how you like what I carved here? Pretty good statue, don't you think? No. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. You see, God is the author of life. He didn't finish it and get kind of moody because he was tired and say, I think I'll kill something now. (laughs) No. He's the author of life. Well, okay, but if that's true, where did death come from? Aha! Interesting story. God planted for Adam and Eve an incredible garden. We named it Eden. It simply means paradise, and it was. It was, we don't know how big it was. Let's assign a size, a hundred square miles. And we don't know where it was located. Tigris, Euphrates River, but that's moved around. It was probably near Albuquerque. (laughs) And in this garden, there were billions of trees, folks. And they were all edible. They never had to worry. Billions of trees. And God says you can eat billions of trees. And in the whole garden, there's only one tree. In the whole garden that I don't want you to eat. They said, really? Where is it? The next thing you see, both Adam and Eve are under that tree. Wow. Boy, I believe that's the prettiest tree in the whole garden. Man. And look at that fruit, chocolate covered. Now I wonder why God would tell us not to eat the prettiest tree in the whole garden. You know, God just must be a cosmic party pooper. That's what he is. He must not love us if he puts a prettiest tree right here and tells us not to eat it. Yeah, I know he called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know what that means, though evil sounds a little exciting. And he said when we ate it, we would die, but I don't even know what that means. Why would he do that? Now, let me tell you, whenever we ask the question, why would God, Satan loves to get in on the conversation. Satan's a theologian, you know. In fact, I'm convinced he's a seminary graduate. I think I know which seminary, in fact. And you know the rest of the story. They ate. Oh, man. So you see, death 
became a choice that we made. (laughs) Now everything was changed. They're kicked out of the garden, man. And now the ground that had been their friend becomes their enemy. And now he has to scratch and scrape and dig. And it grows thorns and thistles and broccoli. And he's wondering, what is this water and this odor? (laughs) I'm convinced that every day at the end of the day, they'd make their way back to the gates of the garden. It was a gated community now. (laughs) In hopes that maybe somehow these guys, boy, those are big fellas with those flaming swords. Woo! in hopes that they might be on vacation or something. Don't you ever take a break? I even have a feeling that (laughs) Christian science, which is neither Christian nor science, (laughs) was born back then. And maybe Adam thought, I bet they're just a fig newton of my imagination. I'm going to test this. Ooh, that was not a fig newton. You see, one of the toughest things about this is that the memories they had, the only memories they had were of paradise. What a difficult, horrible, tough thing to now be scraping and sweating and and probably not getting along too well now. What's a headache? And the only, <laughs> the only memories they have are of paradise. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? Man, we didn't used to live this way. It was once wonderful. <laughs> but now, you know what? I believe that the memories of paradise still exist in our hearts because we all know that things are supposed to be better. We're always working for things to be better in our life, you know, because we know it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in paradise. Every woman here dreams of having a mansion, (laughs) self-cleaning, 50 miles from the nearest neighbor, but across the street from a Walmart. See, life was God's creation and death was our choice. Well, why did he put a choice in the garden? Why would he do that? Why didn't he just leave it peachy corky? Well, I believe personally that when he made us in his image, that image is the ability to choose. I don't think that God was short, fat, bald, and wore suspenders. (laughs) But he gave us the ability to choose. And and if he's going to do that, he has to permit us to have a choice, which he did in the garden. And lo and behold, we made the wrong one. 
You know what fascinates me is we still do today? We, in our attempts to restore ourselves to paradise, do the things that kill us. We kind of keep eating of that fruit. Why do you think people take drugs? Feels good. <laughs> it kills you. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> feels good. What's alcohol for? Same thing. It kills you. But you see, that's the thing. We just keep making that same kind of choice. Mm. But you know, further proof to me that life is where it's at and death is not is the fact that everything that is alive wants to stay alive. Have you noticed that? Even the tiniest little bacterium, you can't even see it. Where It doesn't have a brain. Where does it put a brain? But try to kill it. Whoops, you missed. Huh, you missed. <laughs> it never says, I'm truly sorry about what I have done to your body. I will henceforth roll over and die. No. <laughs> Don't uh, raise your hands. Don't. But have you ever had a infestation of cockroaches? I have. You know, maybe I'm gone from my house for a month and I forget to call the terminator, uh, ex-terminator, uh, governator, whatever. Pray for me. I'm from California. And you come home in the middle of the night and you turn on the lights and there they are. Oh, what do they say? Ha! <laughs> you caught me. No. Skitter, 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 skitter. Why? Because they know that you're about to break into song and dance. La cucaracha, la cucaracha. Where do they, where do they put a brain? How do they know that they should stay alive unless there is something, something about life? There are some who have more money than they know what to do with who, when they die, have themselves frozen. Now, to me, it's a visual oxymoron because they send themselves to Arizona to have themselves frozen. That's true. And maybe they even lived a miserable life, but yet somehow... There is that longing that maybe somewhere down the road someone will figure out how to thaw them and bring them back to life. Mm. Even the founding fathers of our country who had varying degrees of, of relationship with the Lord, every last one of them had been deeply influenced by the Bible. And in our founding documents of this country, there are statements that today's Supreme Court wouldn't let us make. And one of the things that they say is, we believe we have been endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. In other words, rights that cannot be taken away from us. The right to... Life, that's a Bible thing. The right to liberty, that's a Bible thing. 
And though this other one is not, it's still brilliant. And the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> Who can that rascal run? <laughs> but can we chase it? <laughs> we know we're supposed to be happy. It's over here. They told me it's over here. No, no, it's over here. That's where it is. No, it's a bigger house. That's what it is. No, 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 no. It's a bigger car. That's what it is. No, it's a bigger job. No, 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 no. It's a bigger belly. No, 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 no. <laughs> And in the chase, we do the things that kill us. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) We're in a war, you know that. And, And it is a religious war in ways I don't think we've come to grips with. But one of the religious leaders of that group that wishes we were dead made a statement publicly that I thought was phenomenal. He said, you Americans, and whenever they say you Americans, they think you Christians, see, because they don't understand that you can be free and choose to be or not to be a Christian. So they think Christian because all they've ever had were uh, religious dictatorships. He said, you Americans are into life. He said, we are into death. Thought it couldn't have been put any plainer. So life is a gift of God and death was a choice that we made. In fact, there was another tree in the garden. He said, you could eat of it. It's a tree of life. Why didn't they? I, you know, I kind of feel that if I had been Adam and uh, I'm awake, I'm alive, I, this is incredible, man. I've got to, oh, I've got to go eat from the tree of life right now. But he didn't. Do you ever kind of dream of when you get to heaven finding Adam and just beating the tar out of him? <laughs> I see you do. (laughs) Well, you see, (laughs) now in this new state where they had chosen death, God didn't want them to eat of that tree, and so he rips it out of the garden. Because I can understand why, you know. I would hate to have to occupy this body forever. Just think of it. Have you ever seen a like a 110-year-old man? Imagine I'm 200. I know there's some happiness around here somewhere. If I could just get up some speed. I've discovered that something I read quite some time ago, now that I've reached 35, is, is <laughs> has some truth to it that old age is when half of you doesn't work and the half that does hurts. <laughs> but I've pondered this. <laughs> I've pondered this. Why would they not have eaten of the tree of life. I think maybe I know. And I think it's a clue is given to us from the fact that 
the Bible goes to such extent to describe the beauty of the attractiveness of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's still attractive, isn't it, you know? Oh, yeah, evil. <laughs> I don't know everything yet about evil. <laughs> maybe the tree of life was ugly. Maybe, maybe they look at it and they go, Oh, man, that thing is rugged. <laughs> kind of looks like maybe something has been slaughtered on that. Who wants that? And God takes it. Out of the garden. Well, we chose death. How do you think God thinks about that? Do you suppose God says, okay, buddy, you chose death and you're going to have to live with it? No. In fact, life is so important to God. He invented it, and He so wants us to have it. I I want to read to you now the most famous of all verses in the Bible. I imagine every one of you here can quote it to me. And even if you can't, I bet you know where it is. If you watch football, you know where it is. I don't know how they get those seats when they kick a field goal. There's somebody back there that unfurls John 3.16. And to the guy who has no clue, he's thinking he's meeting John at 316. I need to know this. (laughs) But oh, what an incredible, incredible verse. From the very lips of Jesus himself. For God. (laughs) I like that. For God. You know, if it had started off with the words, for man... Then the next words would be knowing that he needs to achieve the godhood within him and the avatar that is there has to climb this mountain on his knees and sit on the top and stare at his navel for six months. (laughs) And anything, (laughs) any religion man-made will have requirements that you never quite get to. But you see, this doesn't begin with for man. It says for God. So loved, not so tolerated. Well, all right, I'll give you another day. (laughs) But so loved the world, and please hear me when I say this, because there may be some of you here who think that God maybe loves you but doesn't like you, who maybe think that when your name comes up in heaven, God's jaws tighten. (laughs) He says, who let them in? And you may think, but man, there's no way God could really like me because, man, I, I, got, I must be on probation with God. But that's not so. He loves you so much now you can't even begin to imagine it. In fact, you can't do anything that will make Him love you more, nor can you do anything that will make Him love you less. Please hear this. He's crazy about you. So love the world that He... Gave, You see, it wasn't like he negotiated. All right, you get a little better, I'll be a little better. You quit cussing, I'll make the freeways flow easy. <laughs> no. That he gave. Oh. Now, what did he give? His only begotten son. 
He bid so high on you, he knew no one could outbid him. I don't know if you ever mess with eBay or not. But my wife and I are semi-serious collectors of a certain kind of pottery that was actually made by a dear friend of ours. And once in a while, we'll see something that we want on eBay. And so I know how to bid, you know. You, you just see how it's going and whether or not it stays in your range, so forth. And just seconds before the bidding ends, you put in a final bid that's better than anyone else's, and you know they're not going to have time to get another bid in. But some jerk But God didn't play that game. He bid on you right from the get-go so high. He knew no one could outbid Him. He so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever... Now, who might that include? It's whosoever believeth in Him. Oh, just as death was our choice, now life becomes our choice. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is into life. So much so, I want to quote John chapter 10, verse 10 to you. And as I do, I hope you will also remember the words of a religious leader that I quoted a few minutes ago. Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they, you, might have life and great gobs of it. That's my translation. He doesn't want us to just survive. He wants us to flourish. In evolutionary terms, you can't do both. I guess God must not be an evolutionist. Once in a while, I meet a survivor. You'll spot him a mile away. Uh, it's just really tough being a Christian. It's so hard. So hard. Would you like to be a Christian too? <laughs> And you're thinking, no, I have enough problems now. (laughs) But you see, God doesn't want you to just survive. He wants you to flourish. Now, the problem is we don't know how to flourish. See, we think, we think it's, oh, I know what, if I had a Rolls Royce, I'd really be flourishing. No, you make the insurance companies flourish. (laughs) And since God knew that we didn't know how to flourish, He made arrangements for it. And, And it's interesting how He puts it together. For instance, He says, for one thing, in Matthew chapter 16, and you all know this, I think I quote it every time I speak here, and I condense it and paraphrase it, we always do. If you want to find your life... Lose it. Find your life. That's flourish. Then lose it. Now, that doesn't make any sense. That's an oxymoron. You know what I mean by an oxymoron. Mutually exclusive terms like government organization or family vacation or 
Microsoft Works, those things, you know. But that doesn't mean I, I'm a Christian now, so shoot me. No, it means that flourishing comes from blessing others and giving ourselves away. Now, in John chapter 7, beginning about verse 37, this incredible provision he makes for us. On the great day of the feast, it says, and this, this would have been on the mountaintop, the, the temple mount, and the crowd would have been huge, just people, 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 people. And Jesus yells at them. You ever been yelled at? It probably wasn't nice, was it? I, I got yelled at the other day, and, and I deserved it. I did a stupid thing in traffic, and I learned some things, words and so forth. (laughs) But I deserved it, you know. But what does it sound like when God yells? Here's what it sounds like. Hey, anybody thirsty? Come to me and drink. And as the Scripture says, whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being will... (laughs) That's the closest translation I can come to. (laughs) Literally explode torrents of living water. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, John comments, who was not yet given. So you see, here's how it works. God has made provision for us because he knew we didn't know how. And we come to Jesus and we drink and the Holy Spirit just explodes out of us as torrents of living water. And we bless others. And because we're blessing others, you see, then this blesses us so much and joy comes into our heart and we're fulfilled and we flourish. And then the Holy Spirit does the job Jesus said he would do and brings us back to Jesus. And we drink of him. And then we explode and we go over and overflow and bless people because this is living water. And we bless people, you see. And because we're blessing people, we're giving our lives away. We're losing them. And that means that we are flourishing. We're finding them, see. And then the Holy Spirit brings us back to Jesus and we drink of Him. And then and we overflow with living water, you see. And we're blessing other people. This can go on for a long time. And the thing that so fascinates me is that before I followed him, <laughs> I wasn't a blesser. I was a suction on the earth. Man, you know, it, it was all me. <laughs> now you know how I sound at midnight. <laughs> but when I drink of him, the most amazing thing happens. From where I do not know, how I do not know, but I like it. I explode with blessing, with living water. Where does it come from? It seems to be endless. It's not drip, 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 but it's an explosion. So you see, He's made provision for us not to only survive but to actually flourish. It's the way He operates. It's the way He wants us to live. (sighs) Well, God took the tree out of the garden. But He was so much into life, He couldn't leave it there. And He replants it. (sighs) 
It's still an ugly tree. And it's in an ugly place. In fact, we call it Golgotha. Place of the skull. We don't like that word. That's ugly. So we use uh, the Latin form that's much nicer sounding, Calvary. See, I'd much rather be called Calvary Chapel than Ugly Chapel. (laughs) Though I could go pretty comfortably to a church like that. But it still isn't attractive. You look at it and you think, man, that thing is rugged. Looks like something might have died on that thing. Wow. You see, that tree has fruit. It has fruit. And the fruit of that tree actually describes himself. He says in John 6.51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. (laughs) What do you mean by that? What is he trying to do? Turn us into cannibals? No. This has the same symbolism that he was using when he says, come to me and drink, and now it is eat. And what he is saying is, you participate in me. You, you, you take me in you. And then you live forever. Wow. And all I have to do is receive you. Yeah. How do I do that? Oh, man, that's the beautiful thing. It's so simple. You tell him that you believe in him. You believe he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that he died for you, and that you're really, really sorry that you're a sinner and for your sins, and that you would ask him to come in and take over your life and help you live for him. And then, that it? Yeah? Don't you do something to me? Well, we could, I guess. (laughs) Hit you with a guitar, maybe. No, I'm being facetious, and forgive me. But you see, God so wants you to live that He's made every provision for you and made it so simple that even a child can follow Him. And that's why many children do, you know. I got into a very interesting conversation on an airplane once with a you know, a big, uh, I, I think he was CEO or something of a company. And I guess in the course of our conversation, he found out that I was a Bible teacher. Well, I can't. All that religion stuff, he says, confuses me. I don't know. I can't figure it all out. I just leave it alone. I said, that's interesting. I know children that have figured it out. <laughs> he said, touche. But you see, that's the thing about it is he makes it so simple that it is the result of your choice, just as it was at the beginning. 
We chose death. Now he gives us the privilege at his expense of choosing life. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and, and I hope you will pray too if, if this is you. And, and if you don't know how to pray, listen to me. And if my prayer matches what's in your heart, say, God, would you take that from me too? Because I know sometimes people are uncomfortable praying because they think that you've got to have a formula, and you don't. God understands you. He knows your heart. So uh, in a moment I'll pray, and I want you to pray with me, if you will, if this is you. But before I do, there's one more verse I want to read to you. If you're a student of Bible prophecy, you know that there are some prophecies that have a now fulfillment and a then fulfillment. That's my favorite ones. And here's one that's just that way, and it's in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. So you can go all the way to the right and stop before you get to the accordion and then turn left, and you're there. Concordance. Listen to this. I heard a loud voice from the throne. There you go. God's yelling again. What does he yell this time? Saying now. See, that means now. The dwelling of God is with men. Folks, that's now and that is then. And he will live with them. That's now and that is then. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. That is now and that is then. Folks, that's what I call really living. And He invites you to that. If you know Him, He wants you to flourish. He wants you to live with him now in such a way that you think Eden can't be any better than this. The only thing that can beat this is the rapture. And that I'll accept. And he wants you to enjoy him because he certainly loves you. And if you don't know him, well, it's a choice. And he won't violate you. You know, he doesn't grab you by the throat and put a sword there and say, would you like to be a Christian? You say, yes, I've been thinking about it for a long time. (laughs) He doesn't do that. Why? Because he respects your ability to choose. And that's why it remains forever a choice. So now let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so incredibly good to us. How can we ever thank you that you have been patient with us in spite of all of the ways we have desperately tried to push you away, uh, let people know that we weren't yours and we've embarrassed you in every way possible, and yet you patiently, patiently wait for us until finally now we know the truth. And the truth is, God, that we're sinners. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And and I've been doing sinful things because I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for that. Please forgive that. But I want you to know, God, that I believe in you and I love you and I thank you. And I ask you to come into my life now and just help me live for you. I want you to take over. I don't want to be anybody's but yours. (laughs) And I'm so glad you never turn anyone away that comes to you. And so now I say thank you. 
Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.